Matthew chapter 6, and we'll open up with verses 9 through 15. We're still working our way through the lines in the Master's Prayer here. Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts today. Is Yahweh the one that brings us or leads us into temptation? We're going to look at verse 13 today. At least the first part of verse 13 is outlined in the Bible here. Out of all the lines in the Lord's Prayer, this is the one that I have spent the most time thinking about. And it's because the other ones, at least to me, I've been reading the Bible for a while now, the other ones seem to be a lot plainer than this one. And maybe it's because when I read this, my mind immediately goes or flashes to other verses in the Bible because I want everything to harmonize and dovetail and make sense together. I don't want one author to contradict another author, one prophet to contradict another prophet. The verse poses opposites. Lead us not into temptation, or we could say don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Those are opposites. Its construction is similar to Matthew 5.17, don't think I came to destroy the law, I came not to destroy, but to fulfill or to confirm, to establish, or don't think that I came to bring peace on earth, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. It's opposite there in the Greek word, there is a lot. Contrasts ideas. So we're to pray, don't, our Father, don't lead us into temptation. Please don't do that. But rather deliver us from evil. Back in 2019, Pope Francis, the main guy for the Roman Catholic Church, posed the idea that he wanted to change the words of the Lord's Prayer and all the modern-day evangelicals. <gasps> they gasped because he was going to change the words of the Lord's Prayer. It's kind of like when you quote a Bible verse to somebody that's King James only and they hear it in another translation and they think you're not quoting the Bible because it didn't sound like the King James Version. Pope Francis wanted to change their rendition of the Lord's Prayer instead of lead us not into temptation. He wanted to change it to don't or do not let us fall into temptation. Um, this wasn't really a novel idea, though. I didn't freak out about this because the New Living Translation, among other Bibles, the New Living Translation says, and don't let us yield to temptation. Sometimes when you talk about variants in the Bible and different ways of translating verses from the original biblical languages, which are Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, when you talk about variant translations, people get all been out of shape and they think that you're trying to do away with the Bible. I remember one time I was talking with somebody and 
they had an NIV Bible, and we were talking about the process of what's called textual criticism, whereby scholars and linguists, as they're translating our Bibles, because we wouldn't have our English Bibles if not for the hard work of men and women who translated the Bible into English for us. So we should thank Yahweh for those people. I was talking to this particular person. They had an NIV, and I asked them to open up to the book of St. John, chapter 5, verse 4. And when you do that, in John 5, verse 4, in the NIV, there is no verse 4. It skips from verse 3 to verse 5. Now, obviously, that's the numbering system that was placed in there by man. In the original biblical text, there's no chapter and verse divisions. The verse that's missing in the NIV, and it's in parentheses in the HCSB, is it's the account where Yeshua was at the pool of Bethesda. And he healed this guy that had been lame for 38 years. In verse 4 in the King James Version, it says that there was an angel that would come down from heaven and stir up the waters at that pool. And whoever got into the pool first would be healed by the power that was invested in that angel. Well, more than likely, that's not originally what John wrote. More than likely, when you examine the manuscripts of the Gospel of John, that was a little paragraph that was added in later by a scribe that wasn't trying to manipulate the text, but he added it in as a footnote to describe something that was commonly known or may have happened, actually. And then another scribe, hundreds of years or a hundred years later, got that particular manuscript and was copying it by hand. And he liked that footnote so much that he put it into the text there in John 5. And then we have the issue of the angel coming down to stir up the waters. The fact of the matter is, is that um, the Bible is not just a divine book. I was talking to my son about this recently, but it's also a human book. People don't like you to say that either. But it is. When Yahweh authored the Bible, it's not like the writers went into a trance and just started writing. (laughs) No, He used their wisdom, their intellect, their different understandings, their different flavors, their backgrounds to write. And thus we see somebody like Dr. Luke is real meticulous in the details. And and then somebody like Mark is uh, more straight and to the point and doesn't go into as many details. And so when we examine all the scriptures, we don't need to think that just because an English translation reads a little bit differently or just because one version of the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our trespasses, and the other one says, forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins, that they're different. It's just coming at it from different angles, different understandings. So I don't think that the Pope was doing anything wrong. I don't consider him to be the Pope. But as they call him, the Pope, I don't think he was doing anything wrong with wanting to reword that particular part of the prayer, whether he was right or wrong. I don't think he was wrong for trying to translate it differently into English. There's a New Testament scholar by the name of Craig Keener that I enjoy reading. and um, In one of his commentaries, he states on Matthew 6, verse 13, the following, he says, parallels with ancient Jewish prayers and possibly the Aramaic wording behind this verse suggest that the first line means... Let us not sin when we are tested rather than let us not be tested or let us not be tempted. So the rewording again is not just the Pope's idea. We find this with scholarly material and other translations of the Bible.
Look at Matthew chapter 4. Just turn your page back a couple of times in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 3. I think this will help us understand some of Matthew 6, verse 13. Yeshua is the one that told us to pray that. Lead us not into temptation, or do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Matthew 4, verse 1, it says, Then Yeshua was led up by the Spirit. That's the Spirit of Yahweh there. He was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter, who's the tempter? The devil approached him and said, If you are the Son of the Almighty, tell these stones to become bread. And it's recorded here where the tempter or the devil tried to tempt him at least three times. And definitely on that third time, he tried to tempt him with sin. Where he said, Bow down before me and worship me and I'll give you everything that this world has to offer. And Yeshua said, No, I only worship Yahweh. It's written in Deuteronomy, Worship Yahweh and serve Him Alone, And so Yeshua withstood that temptation that was coming at him. The point I want to bring out here is in Matthew 4, 1 through 3, even though the devil was the one that was doing the tempting, Yeshua was led by the Spirit of Yahweh into the wilderness to be tempted or to be tested. Turn with me to the book of James, chapter 1. When I first started to prepare for this sermon, and I began to think again, about what it means when we say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, my mind immediately went to James chapter 1. And I think you'll see why when we read this. James 1, beginning at verse 13, reading through verse 15, Yaakov, James, the half-brother of our master, he said, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by Yahweh. For Yahweh is not tempted by evil, and He Himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. I think this is the big reason that people seek for a deeper understanding of Matthew 6, verse 13. Lead us not into temptation. Yahweh, our Father which art in heaven, don't lead us into temptation. Sounds like it's Yahweh that is leading us into temptation. He has the power to lead us into temptation or deliver us from evil. But how does that harmonize with James 1 that says Yahweh cannot be tempted by evil, neither does He tempt anyone but people are tempted when they're drawn away. How? By their own lustful desires, the desires of the flesh. I think we can harmonize this. I think we can come to a better understanding if we recognize that sometimes in the Bible, when we read about the word temptation or tempting or tempter, it's talking about not tempting to sin, but it's talking about putting us into a test. Now, Yahweh doesn't tempt people with sin or tempt people to sin like the devil does, the tempter does, or our flesh does. But He does put people through tests. One popular one that I think you'll remember is in Genesis 22, verse 1, where it says, After these things, the Almighty tested Abraham. How did He test him? Well, He told him to take the son that He had just 
had born to him through a promise by old barren Sarah at 90 years old, the son Isaac. He said, take that son and offer him up as a burnt offering on top of Mount Moriah. Yahweh, or the author of Genesis, calls that a test that was given to Abraham. Or how about the righteous brother we sang about moments ago, Brother Job. He was put to a test. Even in Job chapter 2, Satan came back to present himself before Yahweh when the sons of Elohim or the angelic beings came to present themselves before Yahweh. Satan came amongst them and he said, but you didn't touch him. You took his stuff, you took his family, but you didn't touch him. Curse him, touch him, plague him, and then he'll curse you. And Yahweh invested Satan with the authority or the allowance to strike Job with these boils that made his skin all bloody and and sick. So Yahweh put Job to the test. Look at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 13. I would like to read verses 1 through 5. This was a clear passage where Yahweh tests people. Deuteronomy 13 beginning at verse 1. It says, if a prophet or someone who has dreams arises among you and proclaims a sign or a wonder to you, and that sign or wonder he has promised you comes about. So a prophet rises up in the community. He has a dream. He says, I had a dream. I'm going to show a sign. I'm going to show a wonder. And he can perform a miracle. But, he says, let us follow other mighty ones which you have not known and let us worship them. So he can perform these great miracles but he doesn't put you in the way of Yahweh. Do not listen to that prophet's words or to that dreamer for Yahweh, your mighty one, is testing you to know whether you love Yahweh, your mighty one, with all your heart and all your soul. You must follow Yahweh your mighty one and fear Him. You must keep His commands and listen to His voice. You must worship Him and remain faithful to Him. And that prophet or dreamer must be put to death because he has urged rebellion against Yahweh your mighty one who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the place of slavery to turn you from the way Yahweh your mighty one has commanded you to walk. You must purge the evil from you. So a prophet rises up. He can show this miracle. He's a great orator. He has these dreams. He says, you don't have to follow Yahweh's commands. Don't listen to him. Yahweh's putting you to the test. So clearly, we look at Abraham. We look at Job. We look at Deuteronomy 13. Yahweh does put people to the test. So the idea, I think, in Matthew 6, verse 13, isn't that Yahweh tempts us with sin. It's probably better that we translate that, lead us not into a time of testing. Not that the word temptation is bad, but we can kind of get confused if we translate it as temptation. Yahweh is the one who tests us. And I think what Yahweh is asking us to pray is in humility, we are to ask that He does not test us, but delivers us from evil. And I take the word evil there as all evil in general. It can be translated as evil or evil one. The Greek there is ambiguous, but I take it as all evil in general, whether it be the adversary or any kind of evil or wickedness in the world. We're to ask in humility for Yahweh not to lead us to a test, 
Because we're not to be so boastful that we think like Peter or many other people throughout history. Oh, I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll never deny you. And then what happens? He denies the Messiah three times. We are to be humble before Yahweh. Sometimes it's Yahweh's will for us to go through a test. But we are to pray for these spiritual victories that Yahweh not lead us to this time of testing, but that He delivers us from this evil. And that when we are tested, because Yahweh knows that's what we need at a particular time, that we pass the test. Not that we become boastful. Not that we become prideful and say, bring on the test. But Father, deliver me from evil. Don't lead me to a time of testing. We're praying for spiritual victories and strength in the Spirit. Uh, this last section of the Lord's Prayer, we prayed for our daily needs with our daily bread. We prayed for our sins to be forgiven. And now we're praying for spiritual victories. Because we need spiritual victories. We have times in our life every day where we're faced with a decision to do right or to do wrong. And we must always stay in tune with the Creator and humbly pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I believe that by Yahweh's Spirit you can overcome a transgression that you are faced with, that the Spirit will lead you to, and then you're tempted by the tempter or tempted by your flesh. I believe when that happens, by the power of the Spirit, you can overcome a transgression of Yahweh's law. Some people, I think, get lazy. And some people make excuses. And they say things like, Well, He's a forgiving God. He'll understand. I'll give in. I can always ask for forgiveness later. Tisha and I enjoy this British mystery show called Father Brown. It's where this Catholic priest, he can discover who was the thief or who was the murderer before the policeman there in the UK can come to uh, that understanding. And on Father Brown, one thing that always happens is they'll commit these grave sins and then it's like he says, let's go into confession and they confess and everything's okay. And there's a truth in First John uh, chapter 1, verse 9 that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And John also says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. And he's writing to believers. He's writing to believers. So we shouldn't get boastful and think that we don't have any sin or the ability to sin. That won't come until the resurrection of the just. So we always have struggles in our life. I don't believe we can live sinless, but I do believe we can get to a point where we sin less. You understand what I'm saying? So uh, we chuckle because they say this confession to Father Brown. They said, it's been six weeks since my last confession. I confess that I murdered this guy in cold blood and everything's okay. And I'm not saying that somebody can't be forgiven of a sin like murder. What I'm saying is, is that the confession and the repentance has to be genuine. It really has to be there. I believe in what's called deathbed confession and deathbed repentance, but only if it's genuine. And I'm not the judge of whether or not it's genuine, but Yahweh knows. And I think a lot of times we get lax and lazy and make an excuse and we're faced with a decision. And instead of praying for spiritual victory, we go ahead and just give in to the sin because in the back of our mind, we know I can ask Yahweh to forgive me and everything will be okay. It's not how we ought to live. It's not how a saint lives. 
It's not how a born from above person lives. In Romans chapter 8, verses 4 through 9, the Apostle Paul talks about the mind that's set on the flesh and the mind that's set on the spirit. He said the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. He said the mind set on the flesh is hostile to the Almighty. Why? Because it cannot subject or submit itself to the law of Yahweh. But the mindset on the Spirit can. Paul says that we through the Spirit can put to death the deeds of our body. The old Puritans said it like this. They said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We have to wake up every day and recognize we're going out into battle Brother TJ's been teaching about putting on the armor of Yahweh so that we can withstand the wiles of the devil, the fiery darts of the enemy. Hopefully we're listening to that. We're understanding that the way that we battle the enemy, the way that we battle the devil, is not by studying about the devil, but it's by studying about Yahweh and becoming more and more strong in Yahweh and more and more strong in righteousness and more and more strong in standing firm, putting on that breastplate of righteous living. It seems like people get their kicks off of studying about the devil. I don't understand that. If you want to be able to discern the counterfeit, you study the original. You don't study the counterfeit. So that when the counterfeit comes, you know that it's wrong. You know that it's the counterfeit because you've spent so much time in studying the original and in prayer and in fasting and in praying for these spiritual victories. So we need to live our lives according to the Spirit. Have you ever had a battle in your life where you were faced with a decision to sin or to not sin. Have you? I've had many of them. Have you ever had a battle in your life where you were faced with that decision and you didn't sin? You set your mind on the Spirit. You casted down thoughts and imaginations that would try to exalt themselves up against the power of Yahweh. You said no to sin. You followed the example of Yeshua where He said, No, Satan. No, I'm going to follow Yahweh. You followed that example. How did that make you feel? Made you feel good, didn't it? Made you feel great. You felt more spiritual. You know why? Because in that instance, you were more spiritual. You overcome. By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh. Now, have you ever been faced with that same battle, but you chose to sin? Yeah. How did that make you feel? If you're a true believer, you feel awful. If you really love Yahweh and you really serve Him, you feel so bad. Because a true believer cannot sin without it grieving Him. You know why? Or her. You know why? Because the Spirit of Yahweh, at least a portion of it, a down payment of it, lives inside your body. That's what gives you the ability to do righteousness and to choose righteousness is that Spirit that's inside of you. And when you yield to the flesh, the carcass that we're still in, when you yield to the flesh, it grieves the Spirit, therefore it grieves you as the believer. You can commit the smallest sin. I heard a story one time about a man who underpaid a person one dime. I heard a story about another man who was going to give his friend a Bible and he had a nice Bible and a tattered Bible and he gave his friend the tattered Bible because he wanted the nicer Bible. And in both of these stories, these stories were told by believers and they were true stories. In both of these stories, the first man, he could not live with himself until he went back to the store 
and gave the dime that he knew he had underbid or underpaid. And the next guy said he couldn't sleep. And so the next day he woke up and he went back and he said, Look, you get the new Bible. I'll take the tattered Bible that's been marked and worn. You can have the new Bible. Because he wanted to prefer his neighbor. See? The true believer, when faced with the decision to sin or to live in righteousness, when sin is committed, you know what will happen? They'll feel bad. And they won't feel good until it's confessed, repented of, and they strive for that spiritual victory the next time. What happens when we're faced with those decisions and we choose to sin? We haven't been praying, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. We've just been thinking we can do everything on our own power. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This will be the last verse that I go through. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I think, helps us, continues to help us in understanding this part of the prayer. I would like to read beginning at verse 1 and go through verse 13. I'm not going to comment on a lot of the verses, but I think you'll get the gist of the passage as I'm reading. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1, Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. He's talking about the Red Sea. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. He's probably talking about the manna. And they all drank from the same spiritual rock. Remember when water came out of the rock? For they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was the Messiah. Not that the Messiah was that literal rock, but that rock typified the Messiah. But the Almighty was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the desert. We're talking about Israelite people here. The Almighty was not pleased with most of them, and they were struck down in the desert. By who? By the Almighty. Yahweh. Now these things became examples for us so that we will not desire evil as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people fell dead. Let us not tempt Christ, the Messiah, as some of them did. Could be referring to the rock there that was just mentioned. The word Messiah could refer to the anointing of Yahweh. Mashiach just means anointing sometimes. And were destroyed by the snakes. Nor should we complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as examples and they were written as a warning to us on whom the ends of the ages have come. Verse 12 and 13 is our key right here. Therefore, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Therefore, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Never get prideful and think that sin cannot come your way. Because as soon as you do, the next person knocking on your door is going to be some type of Mr. or Mrs. Sin saying, Hey, I'm here to make your life better. I'm here to help you. Because Satan does not show up with horns, a pitchfork, and a pointy tail like on the old cartoons. Paul says he shows up as an angel of light. And so also his ministers come as angels of light. So the one that thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. The Almighty is faithful... And He will not allow you to be tempted. See that? Yahweh is not the one 
firsthand tempting with evil, but He allows us to go through these tests. Yeshua was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Why? To be tested or to be tempted by the devil. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. But Brother Matthew, it was just too hard. You weren't there. No, you didn't look hard enough for the way of escape. This Scripture says He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. In other words, as a believer, you've got enough Spirit of Yahweh in you to decide... I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go in that direction. I'm not going to do that thing. I'm going to serve Yahweh. And the more you do that, the more you strike out that monster, strike out that devil of sin, the stronger and stronger in the spirit you'll become. But the more you feed that monster of sin, the more that he wants to eat. Brothers and sisters, pray for spiritual victories. Pray for greater levels of sanctification. You're not yet as holy as you can be. Pray for greater levels of holiness. Pray for greater levels of sanctification. Pray, fast, give alms, read, sing. These are five ways, simple ways, that we can increase our spirituality and get greater levels of holiness on this earth. Prayer and fasting, giving of alms to the poor, reading the Scriptures, studying the Scriptures, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to Yahweh. Quote Scripture when you're tested. Quote Scripture when the devil comes to you or when a person comes to you. Because the devil don't come himself to too many people. He uses agents. He uses emissaries. And so when a temptation comes your way, quote Scripture how Yeshua quoted Scripture. Each time that the devil tried to tempt Yeshua, he quoted from the Torah from the book of Deuteronomy all three times. He said, No, it's written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of Yahweh. No, it's written. Do not put Yahweh, your mighty one, to the test. No, it's written. Serve Yahweh, your mighty one, and Him alone. All three times He quoted Scripture. So when it comes to you, you do the same. Quote Scripture. Pray for deliverance. Be humble and know that you cannot win without the help of Yahweh. He is our helper. Helper is not a derogatory or less term. He is our azer. He is our helper. He makes up where we lack. He can't win the victory without Yahweh. I got through preparing this sermon and I thought, you know, this almost sounds like one of Brother TJ's sermons on the arm of Yahweh. But it's funny how Yahweh works that out at times. I hope that this has helped you understand a little bit better what you're praying when you pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's helped me understand it. And we need to know what we're praying. Amen? When we pray the Lord's Prayer, it does not need to be vain repetition. But we need to know each line what we're praying. And so now when I get to this line of the prayer, for me, and I hope for you, I got a better understanding of what I'm praying. I'm praying for spiritual victories in my life. May Yahweh bless you. Next week, Brother Jerry will be teaching and then Brother TJ on the new moon. I love everybody. Hope you love me. Hallelujah.